0: Good to see everybody. Can I uh, have you turn with me in your Bibles to the Book of Revelation, chapter sixteen? Now, tonight in our study in the Book of Revelation, we're going to be finishing chapter sixteen, unless a meteor hits the building and we have to <laughs> postpone it a little bit more. But you know, don't expect that's going to happen. So. Um, but as we have said, just by way of quick re- quick review, uh, this chapter contains. The seven bull judgments, which are the last and most cataclysmic, really, of all the previous judgments. These uh, will then lead directly to the return of Jesus Christ, the battle of Armageddon, and the establishment of God's kingdom upon the earth. Now, before we get into the last few verses of Revelation 16, I'd like to go back and revisit something we talked about a couple of weeks ago in our study. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I raised the possibility that the events prophesied uh, about in Ezekiel 38 and 39 could in fact come at the end of the tribulation period and lead to the second coming of Jesus to the earth to rescue the Jews from the Antichrist and his armies because their back is going to be up against the wall. It looks like all hope is gone. And so they will cry out to their true Messiah, not just Messiah come generically, Jesus Messiah come specifically, and he will come and deliver them, and then, of course, go on to establish his millennial kingdom on the earth. Now, I said back then that um, I'm not saying that interpretation is the correct one. Uh, I'm not even sure I really uh, uh, subscribe to it fully. I mean, there's two main interpretations of the Ezekiel 38 and 39 battle. Uh, I gave you one view, and I'm not saying it's the correct one, but it's a definite possibility. And um, But let me give you the other view tonight before we get into our, our uh, chapter. Uh, I will say one, one more time that I definitely believe that the events of Ezekiel 38 and 39 happen before the Millennial Kingdom is established before the millennial kingdom is established, and not at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ, as some think. Now, we'll look at that more, why they think that we get to chapter 20, okay? Because it talks about Gog and Magog, and so people say, well, that must be talking about, you know, the events of Ezekiel 38 and 39, but it's going to happen at the end of the thousand years. No, it's not. And I'll tell you why I don't believe it's going to happen, even though Gog and Magog are mentioned in chapter 20 of Revelation. Uh, but let me just start tonight by talking about the scenario that uh, the scenario that many good evangelical scholars and prophecy experts think uh, is the way Ezekiel 39 38 and I will play out or unfold. Okay. Um, many good evangelical professors and pastors and teachers believe that uh, the battle presented in Ezekiel 38 and 39 will happen before, before the Antichrist rises to power and the seven year tribulation period officially begins. Now, we know from Daniel 9, 27, that the last seven years, what we call the tribulation period, that does not officially begin until the Antichrist signs a peace treaty with the nation of Israel, a treaty that will last seven years, Right. The Antichrist, I don't believe, is going to rise to power until the church is out of here. I believe he's the first judgment of the tribulation period. I say that because of Revelation 6, verses 1 and 2, right? Jesus breaks the first seal. Of course, that starts the judgments of God on the earth. And what happens when he breaks the very first seal? A rider on a white horse comes that we know from studying that passage is not the Lord Jesus Christ, but is a false Christ. We know him as the Antichrist. So I perp- per- personally don't believe that the church is going to see the uh, Antichrist at all. Now he has to come on the scene to sign the peace treaty with Israel, which will officially start the last seven years. Right. So what many evangelical evangelical scholars believe, uh, and, and a lot of others, uh, including my, uh, I, and I still kind of um, I'm open to this. All right, this interpretation that. Sometime before the Antichrist is revealed, uh, the Ezekiel battle, chapters 38 and 9, takes place. Now, how does the church fit into that battle? Forget the Antichrist, because he's, you know, he's not shown up yet, uh, and I don't believe the church will be here to see him rise to power. So does the church see the Ezekiel 38 and 39 battle? Is the rapture before that Ezekiel battle? Uh, is it during the Ezekiel battle, I don't think it's at the end because the Antichrist comes around that time. All right? We don't know. And, you know, I, I i think the church could see the beginning of that Ezekiel 38 and 39 battle. We might not see any of it. We might get raptured before that thing even comes about. All right? Just to throw that out there, I hope I'm not confusing you guys too much. Um, but but as we said a few weeks ago, when we studied this uh, in, in detail, um uh, we said that there is a um, nuclear component to this battle. Uh, the language is very, is very clear that it seems that some kind of a nuclear uh, occurrence uh, happens. I believe Israel is going to unleash uh, at least one nuclear warhead upon the invading army that Ezekiel 38 and 9 talk about read chapter 39 again of ezekiel because it sounds very much like the aftermath of a nuclear war or some kind of a nuclear bomb going off. In Zechariah, I think it was chapter 14. Zechariah 14. God says this is the plague that I'm going to strike all those who come against Jerusalem. Their eyes are going to consume in their sockets, their tongues will consume in their mouths, melt Their flesh will be consumed on their bones and not just the people, but all the animals in the area will suffer the same fate. So to me, you couple that with Ezekiel 39, the cleanup, to me it sounds very much like there's some kind of a nuclear uh, bomb that is um, set off, probably by the Jewish people because they feel completely outnumbered, but yet God uses it to destroy these invading armies. Now, because of this... um, nuclear component that Ezekiel uh, seems to allude to, um, you would imagine how that would cause the nations of the world to want and even to push for a united earth. In other words, a global one world government so that this kind of thing would never ever happen again. What kind of thing? Where the world is brought to the brink of nuclear annihilation. The unthinkable is going to have happened. Uh, somebody is going to, you know, after World War II, when we did it to uh, to Hiroshima, Nagasaki, uh, uh, you know, there has never been another nuclear bomb set off against another country. Well, now something like that seems like it's going to happen, and the whole world is going to panic or freak out. We have to come together. This is we cannot be uh, a world of separate nations. It's too volatile. We have to have one government. One leader, and there you go. And there you go, right? Therefore, guys, the Ezekiel 38 and 39 battle could be the very thing that does usher in the Antichrist into power as the nations want to then join together into one global nation with one leader, which the Bible calls the Antichrist. Guys, as I said a couple weeks ago, the strange thing about this battle, okay, um, the strange thing about this is that if we're as close to these events taking place, as close as we think we are, then the elephant in the room is, where's America? Where's America? I mean, why isn't America clearly mentioned in Bible prophecy? We are the world's superpower. Also, America is Israel's greatest friend and ally. now. Uh, historically that's been the case ever since the inception of the jewish state in 1948 of course presidents obama and biden have not been very friendly to the jews the jewish nation of israel they claim they are but they're really they're they're leftists and leftists don't like israel Um, they believe israel stole palestinian land we'll talk about that more just a second But Donald Trump came in, became an instant friend of Israel. America has typically stood alongside Israel. Remember what God promised Abram many, many centuries ago. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. One of the reasons I don't think America has yet been destroyed or hasn't been destroyed yet is because we have been a friend to the Jewish people. Now, I just heard that our State Department, I heard this a couple weeks ago, has started to do some things that will put Israel in a very bad position. Uh, make them more vulnerable to their enemies and if that comes down if that really happens where america turns its back on israel and actually works to bring it down then i believe our, the final nail in our coffin is going to be placed okay um but historically we have been israel's greatest friend and ally and so where are we in the scenario presented in ezekiel 38 and 9 which lists the nations that come against Israel, uh, as we have studied uh, this passage in Ezekiel uh, 38 a couple weeks ago, uh, the Holy Spirit lists the nations that come against Israel, Russia, Iran, northern Africa, a confederation of Muslim nations that uh, all come together to attack Israel. But again, why isn't America mentioned as coming to Israel's defense defense against these enemies that attack her? Now, I presented three possible reasons why last time we studied this let me revisit those again and then expand on that list all right and I want to just visit the first three again even though we looked at them a couple weeks ago why isn't America mentioned in the Ezekiel 38 and 9 battle that has all these nations coming against Israel Um, it could be that we are absent from that scenario uh, because we're simply too weak and depleted militarily and financially due to the wars in Iraq, Afghanistan, and now Ukraine, to help Israel in any meaningful way to stop these invading armies into, uh, into Israel. And therefore, guys, we can only offer tepid denunciations against her enemies. And we looked at Ezekiel 38, verse 13. Basically, if we are, if um, Tarshish is uh, Great Britain, and we're the young lions thereof, America could be a reference to America. All we're seen as saying is, you shouldn't do that. It's not nice. Stop it. You know, uh, I can see that coming from the mouth of Joe Biden. Okay, <laughs> sorry if you voted for him. Um, that's one possibility. Another possibility: why we're not mentioned in this Ezekiel 38 and 39 battle of the nations that come against Israel? Why we're not defending Israel as our, uh, as their greatest ally and friend? Uh, Another possibility might be because at this point in our history, like the Roman Empire, our nation could have rotted from within and collapsed in on itself. Look, I don't have to tell you guys, you watch the news, you see what's going on. Our country is imploding, morally and spiritually. Things have gotten dark. As Billy Graham said at one time, if God doesn't judge America, he owes an apology to Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, that was kind of hyperbole, but I really think it's tr- that's true, all right, given our, the state of our uh, country, because of all the rampant immorality and corruption and social chaos and you know, just the overall demonic evil that has so permeated and poisoned our nation. Uh, it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't surprise me if we just rotted from within and collapsed in and itself. You know, historians say it wasn't the Huns who defeated the Roman Empire from without. It was the corruption that destroyed it from within. I think that seems to be what America is uh, experiencing, right? Or number three, and we again, we're just reviewing from last time. Why aren't we in the scenario in Ezekiel 38 and 39 uh, defending Israel? It could be that given our current administration, we just alluded to it, we simply won't honor our treaty with Israel when these enemies come against her. Why won't we honor the treaty? Um, Because our leaders in those days, and it could be coming so quickly that our leaders in those days are possibly the current administration. Because our current leaders hate Israel and consider her as an evil occupier of Palestinian land. I've heard this from leftists many times and therefore see her defeat at the uh, hands of her enemies a good thing, a good thing. That's why, you know, possibly we're not seen defending Israel, because we have people that don't want to defend Israel. Uh, They want Israel to fall. They don't like the Jewish state. They think it's occupying Palestinian land and so on. Let me give you guys a few other possibilities as to why we don't see America listed in the Ezekiel battle against Israel well one is possibly that um, there was a nuclear attack against us um, that is so devastates us that we're too weak and incapable of coming to Israel's defense look um, people have talked about uh, Putin's sanity I'm no psychiatrist or whatever uh, you know but people that know him uh, heads of state that have dealt with him say he's not the same guy And they're not saying that in a good way, okay? Uh, Putin, I think, is crazy enough to send a nuclear missile or missiles our way from one of his nuclear submarines parked off the East Coast, you know, probably one not far from Washington, D.C. If he feels threatened enough by all the weaponry weaponry we're sending to Ukraine in their fight against Russia, Um, you know, guys, we are in a proxy war with Russia. And that could escalate very quickly into a hot war, a direct war with Russia. Here's the thing. Uh, I think that Putin underestimated the Ukrainian people. Uh, They've been fighting like crazy. But coupled with the fact that we have been supplying them all kinds of weaponry, uh, anti-tank, I forgot the name of that system, but it was incredible how it works. And they're taking out uh, uh, Russian tanks and They've got the Stinger missiles that we have sent, and so on. Um, Putin cannot afford a sustained war. He thought this was going to be a couple days, boom, boom, in we're done. Well, that hasn't happened, okay. And now, as we keep feeding the Ukrainian army uh, weapons, uh, you know, you could wind up with a scenario where, like a wounded animal who is cornered, Putin might go, "Hey, look, I got nothing to lose." If I can't win this battle uh, and 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 reconstitute the Soviet Union, I don't care if I go down in a blaze of glory and push the button and who knows what's going to happen then, right? We have to be open. This could happen. He could be so so furious with us for helping his enemy, the Ukrainians, that you know, in a last-ditch effort where he feels completely cornered and he could he could launch a nuclear missile from. Uh, a sub off our eastern coast, and uh, do some incredible damage. Number two, another reason we don't see America enlisted in this battle, Um, a nuclear missile uh, was detonated, we'll say, uh, over the eastern seaboard. That creates what's called an EMP, electromagnetic pulse. If you've ever studied what an electromagnetic pulse is, it's the after effect of a nuclear warhead going off in the atmosphere. Over a certain area, and um, these EMPs, for short, um, when they happen, would fry all the circuitry of everything that uses circuitry to operate. Which means, first of all, all utilities would become inoperable. Water and gas and electric would be affected. It would also affect uh, all businesses, banking, defense systems, etc. All right. Um, and would immediately plunge that part of the country back into the 1800s. Think of that. If you live on a farm, if something like this happens, where you grow your own food, have your own well, water, and an outhouse or something, you probably survive. Cities, forget about it. They're going to become war zones. As people rush to get whatever supplies are left, uh, it's going to be horrific. All right. Now you say, well, can't they just reboot? No. Now now with an EMP, you don't reboot. It fries the circuitry. It's done. You have to replace it all unless there's special shielding. And I would hope our Defense Department has shielded some of their key systems. That would be foolish if they have, if they've known about EMPs for a long time, okay? Um, Another possibility as to why we're not mentioned is because this this is something a lot of people I don't think uh, don't, Think about, all right, um, because of rampant inflation in the, uh, in the falling U.S. economy, the dollar is so weak and unstable that the nations of the world no longer trust it to be the world's reserve currency. This would mean that the nations of the world would then turn to China, which is the world's second-largest economy, and would make their currency. And I went online to find out what their currency is, and I got two different answers. I'm not sure even the experts know for sure. One is called the ren, uh, the ren renmin, minbi, ren minbi, and then the, of course the yuan that you're familiar with. Uh, but China's currency would then become the world reserve. Currency, now you say, well, what's, what's the big deal with that? You don't understand something. Because the dollar is the, is the world's reserve currency, we can do a lot of things right now. We can, we can uh, pad the debt because, you know, everyone borrows from us, basically. If this was to happen, a lot of things would, would change immediately. And one of the things that would happen immediately is that the countries of the world would no longer purchase oil in U.S. dollars. So the U.S. petrodollar would be a thing of the past. What would that do? Well, if the world stopped buying oil in U.S. dollars and began to buy them in the Chinese yuan, uh, the result would be, and this is what I've heard from economists and things, the result of this would be that the U.S. economy would immediately be wiped out and America would overnight be plunged into the greatest depression it has ever seen, reducing it to third world status. We can argue about that. I'm not an economist. I don't know these things. I'm just telling you what I've read. And and people that I sound very much like they know what they're talking about uh, have said this. This would be a critical thing to happen. I'll give you one more possible scenario. And I'm sorry if you're thinking, man, this is really depressing. Uh, I'm just trying to, as I look at what the Bible prophesies about the end times, and then I try to superimpose over what God has said with current events Things are beginning to line up more and more. Whether I'm right on these fully, I don't know. I'm just giving you some ideas, okay, some possibilities. I'll give you one more possible scenario as to why we're not seen uh, in uh, being involved in this Ezekiel 38 and 39 battle uh, coming in defense of Israel. One more possible scenario is that one or more small Tactical nukes, sometimes called suitcase nukes, are smuggled into one or more of our major cities and then detonated, reducing that city or cities to rubble and causing such internal chaos that America will be too busy just trying to piece itself back together um, to help anyone else. Uh, I think I've mentioned to you uh, about a book that was written uh, a while ago. It was written by the, um, the one-time pastor of Times Square Church in New York, David Wilkerson, uh, who went home to be at the Lord, him and his wife, a few years ago in an uh, automobile accident. But David was given by God a vision, a vision. And uh, I read this book. He wrote a book called The Vision about this. And uh, I read it years ago. And uh, it came to my mind when I was doing this study uh, that this could be one of the possible reasons we don't see America in this battle. And uh, I thought that David had gotten the vision maybe in the early 90s. I did a quick Google search. And uh, this book came out in 1974. And. Uh, Just from memory, I didn't have time to go pull it out and and, and read it again, but uh, he predicted that God showed him five things that was going to happen uh, before um, judgment came. And, you know, I mean, rampant immorality and I forgot everything that we see going on today, right? But in this vision, he saw New York devastated, devastated, like it had been involved in a war. And he wrote it down, and, 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 and all people read the book. When 9-11 happened, some of the people in this church came him and said, Pastor David, is what you saw in your vision what we see with 9-11? Is that, is, was that what you saw? He said, no, what I saw was much worse, much worse. Could this be a possible, well, it could be a possible scenario. Is it the correct scenario? I don't know. I don't know. But guys, if any one of these scenarios plays out, it would be the end of America as the world's superpower, to say the least in fact, it would decimate America and leave it a fallen destroyed shell of a country, reducing it reducing uh, rendering it I should say, inconsequential on the world stage. And with America out of the way, well, you can see how the enemies of Israel, some of them some of whom are mentioned in Ezekiel 38, could be emboldened to attack Israel then, because we're not around. We're not around. I mean, if you have, if you have one nuclear uh, suitcase nuke go off in New York or uh, m- maybe even D.C., our our country would be, you know, um, it, it, we would be completely taken out of the, the equation. All right, and with that in mind, as America now is just struggling just to. I don't know, stay alive. Uh, The enemies of Israel, again mentioned in Ezekiel, some of them, not all of them, are mentioned in Ezekiel 38, could be emboldened then to attack Israel, which would be the Ezekiel 38 and 39 scenario uh, come to pass, not realizing Israel has never needed America for its survival. God established them. God prophesied he would raise them up again Ezekiel 37, Valley of Dry Bones, out of the land for almost 2,000 years. But God was going to bring them back and make them a nation again. They would speak pure Hebrew. Never at any time in history is a language going on to be dead, a dead language that has become a a language spoken again. Uh, That was such an incredible thing that the L.A. Times ran a two-page article about it. How that it's never happened. Where a nation has been out of its land for 2,000 years only to be regathered into it to speak the language that it once spoke in 2,000 is the common tongue. It was all prophesied by God. All prophesied, right? Uh, just some things to think about. Okay, <laughs> back to Revelation 16. And uh, so far in our study of chapter 16, we have covered the first six bold judgments I'd like to now look at the seventh bowl. We did start looking at this a couple weeks ago. If you indulge me, I'd like to back up a little bit and just take the whole thing again and just um, refresh your memory, since we weren't here last week because of our week of fasting and prayer. But uh, let's just back up to verse 17. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven and from the throne, saying, It is done as we said last time even though this voice is not identified for us i personally believe it is the voice of none other than the lord jesus christ himself the righteous judge of all the earth remember now this is these are judgments of god judgments of god poured out on a very wicked world and jesus christ as the great judge of heaven and earth announces that the, the judgment of the great tribulation has now concluded it is done you see it there at the end of verse 17 it is done remember guys as we have said if something uh, in the future is uh, is an absolute certainty it is often spoken of in the past tense by the writers of the new testament and here even the lord jesus christ himself technically all the seal, trumpet and bold judgments by this point in the tribulation period are done. That's what Jesus is basically saying here. Uh, all that's left for Jesus uh, all that's left for Jesus to return to the earth, judge his enemies and establish his kingdom. Verse 18, and there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Now, as we said a couple weeks ago, this seems to be the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. In Isaiah 24, verses 19 and 20, here's what God prophesied. And I believe through Isaiah, and I believe that this prophecy in Isaiah has its fulfillment in Revelation 16, verse 18, with this violent earthquake. But listen to how it's uh, presented in Isaiah 24, verses 19 and 20 the earth is violently broken the earth is split open can you imagine the earth being split open by a earthquake this powerful Um, the earth is split open the earth is shaken exceedingly the earth you know the hebrews tells us i think in chapter um, 12 there is coming a time when god is going to shake this world so violently that everything that is material will crumble And only that which is spiritual, which you did for Jesus on the earth, will remain. And so this, no doubt, is what the writer of the Hebrews had in mind. But uh, verse 20, The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard, and shall totter like a hut. Its transgressions shall be heavy upon it. Listen, and it will fall and not rise again. So does the earth just kind of fall over on its side? Right now it's tilted, right? 23 and a half degrees on its axis. And that tilt is what we helps give us our seasons, among other things, right? Um, but so I, I heard a, a couple of scientists one time say that every twenty thousand years, take it with a grain of salt. The Earth is like a top that's spinning, 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 and all of a sudden it slows down and starts to wobble, and then the top just flips, right? They said about every twenty thousand years, so we're we're overdue, they said. The earth is just, it like it's like a top. It starts slowing down, starts wobbling. Wo- sounds like the language here. Wobbles and wobbles, and all of a sudden it flips, where the South Pole becomes the North Pole, and the North Pole becomes the South Pole. Well, what does that do to the people on the earth? Wipes everybody out, they said. Uh, I'm not so sure they were too much against that. I heard a scientist say one time in some kind of a uh, meeting of, you know, on ecology and, and things that... Um, that the only problem with planet Earth is the people on it. If we could somehow get rid of all the people, the planet would survive and, and and heal. And and they all started clapping. I'm like, what are you guys nuts? You're part you're part of the people, you know? I don't know, people are, are crazy. Um, but uh, I, I don't know if this language in Isaiah is kind of talking about. Maybe those scientists are right. This this does happen every once in a while. But I, I, it sounds like it's might be prophesied happening here i don't know but when this earthquake happens so powerful verse 19 tells us uh, revelation 16 verse 19 now the great city was divided into three parts a comparison with revelation 11 verse 8 clearly identifies the great city as jerusalem which we talked about we're just reviewing a little bit um, this massive earthquake that is prophesied in verse 18, is going to split Jerusalem into three parts. Three parts. Beginning a series of geophysical alterations to the city and its surrounding region that will conclude when Jesus Christ returns. In fact, I believe they are orchestrated by God to uh, change some things in preparation for Jesus coming back and establishing his kingdom there in Uh, from Jerusalem where he's going to reign. One of the things that's going to happen, this geophysical alterations, one of the things that's going to happen uh, will be that Jerusalem will be elevated. Now it's 2,500 feet above sea level right now, but what if it was lifted up another 2,500 feet or whatever, uh, where it was 5,000 feet in the air, kind of like Denver, the mile-high city, right? Um, What if uh, Jerusalem is, is well, we know it's going to be elevated even more. That's 2,500 feet above sea level right now. But Zechariah 14, verse 10 tells us that the city will be lifted up and all the surrounding area will be flattened. Uh, if you if you ever look at a map, uh, I'll tell you what, there's a, a, a psalm where the psalm, I think Psalm 126, I think. Psalm 126, I could be wrong. Um, where the psalmist said, "Is the as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so God, His presence surrounds us." Something to that effect. When I was in Israel, oh, back in the '90s, at like the first or second time I went there with a group, uh, our we were staying in a nice hotel, and the um, the the dining room where we would all gather to eat it was on the uh, sixth, eighth, six, seventh, eighth floor. It was up. And so I remember one morning I got there, and uh, before, it was windows all, all, all around this room. I remember walking over and looking out the window. And you know what? When you, it was one of those moments where the scriptures come, came alive. Because here we are in Jerusalem, and all around Jerusalem were these mountains. I say mountains, or mounds, mounts, Mount, mount, mount of Olive, Not a mountain like you were thinking, but high, right? And uh, and all these, the area around Jerusalem is all these mountains. They're all going to be flattened and Jerusalem will be lifted up even higher. Why? Because I believe and many others believe that uh, this will enhance Jerusalem in preparation for the kingdom of God to be established with Jerusalem as its capital. Uh, Verse 19. Now, The great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. As we said last time, someone has said God made the country, but man made the cities. Man made the cities. There's a lot of folks who regard all cities as godless. I'm not saying sure that all cities would fit into this category. I think most cities, especially the major cities. But most people believe conservatives, Christians, see the major cities of the world as being evil places and certainly uh, these major cities are often if not always run by leftist progressive thinking leaders who embrace godless ideologies like socialism marxism communism these are rebels against the true and living god just like canaan we talked about in genesis 4 the first time the word city is mentioned in the bible it was uh, a very godless individual named Cain who had a son named Enoch. They were very godless people. And Cain built a city. First time city is mentioned in the Bible. And he wanted it to be a secular uh, city, a godless city. He didn't want it to be anything like the city of God prophesied that was coming where the righteous would live and God would be honored, and that kind of thing, right? Now he wanted one of those immoral kind of cities where the flesh was just just in whatever things the flesh wanted, right? And of course, uh, one of the next times the word city is mentioned in Genesis 11, it's with regard to, to Nimrod, who built a city and a tower that reached up into the heavens. The tower that became Babel, or Babel, the city of Babylon, eventually sprung up from this area. Um, but as we said last time in the kingdom age, guys, it could be that the only city... On the face of the earth will be Jerusalem. It could be. And the rest of the world will live in small rural towns. I don't think there's going to be any industry in the kingdom age. I think it's all going to be how God originally designed the world to be. Uh, you know, rural, agricultural, you know, agrarian living. Um, you know, and I just don't see factories in the kingdom age belching out pollution i just think that if if god really thinks the cities are breeding ground for immorality and demonic thinking and and, and all of that which i know that i'm going to make some people angry but uh yeah i've read some interesting uh, articles about how when conservative people move into cities often they become liberal and they, they, they adopt the mindset. Now, is there something to that psychologically, or is it mostly spiritual? And they, I don't know. I don't know. But if that's true and cities become corrupted in places that are godless, it could be that during the kingdom age that we're all going to live in rural towns, little small-town communities, <laughs> Mayberries, you know, if you will, uh, where we're going to know everybody and everyone's going to know us. The whole town will be kind of like family. I kind of believe that's what's going to happen. And uh, that Jerusalem could, in fact, be the only city on the face of the earth, high and lifted up, right? With Jesus Christ as its leader, its ruler. It's never going to get corrupted, obviously, because Jesus will be on the throne there. All right. Back to Revelation 16, verse 19. Now the great city, which is Jerusalem, was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. See, so is God judging these cities? I mean, he seems to single them out. During this great earthquake, the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Now, guys, the capital city of Antichrist's empire is going to be Babylon. Babylon. The the debate is, is it going to be literal Babylon or just another city that is called Babylon? Well, we'll talk about that more uh, when we get to chapter 17 and 18 because they really get into, in detail, uh, this whole Babylon. And there's a spiritual side to it, and there is a commercial side to it, all right? And so it's just kind of mentioned in passing here in verse 19 um, but it's going to be described in detail in chapters 17 and 18. So let's wait till we get there to you know, dig into Babylon in, uh, in detail. Verse 20, Then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. The final effect of the earthquake, as noted above, is to prepare the earth for the millennial, in other words, the 1,000-year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ on this present earth. There are passages that talk about Jesus Christ reigning forever and ever. Yet you have the millennial kingdom is a thousand years. So people say, "Well, so does he reign a thousand years or does he reign forever and ever? He reigns a thousand years on this present earth when he comes back. But then then the universe is destroyed, earth is wiped out, God recreates a new heavens, a new earth, a new Jerusalem, and there the Lord Jesus Christ will reign forever because that will be forever, okay? Just so you, in case you went with a thousand years, but here it says he's going to reign forever and ever, that's what's going on. But God is allowing things to happen on the earth that actually, yes, are bringing judgment, but they're also preparing the world, the earth, for Jesus' coming in the kingdom age okay? And one of these is this earthquake, and it's doing all kinds of things. Yes, it's judging the earth. Don't forget now. Well, I'll hang on to that that thought. Um, But to the end that this earthquake is actually being used by God to bring about Uh, things on the earth that are preparing the earth for Jesus' return and the establishment of his kingdom, one of the things that is going to happen is that the earth's topography is going to be uh, drastically altered. Again, verse 20, Every island fled away, and and, uh, the mountains were not found. That's pretty cataclysmic stuff, right? Guys, islands, of course, as you know, are nothing more than undersea mountains. What pokes its way up out of the water, the oceans, the sea, and becomes an island is really nothing more than the top of an underground mountain. Now, I find this interesting that apparently not everybody knows that. Because a few years ago, during some kind of a Senate hearing, uh, there was a general uh, who was advocating we send more troops to Guam, one of our U.S. territories, and uh, Hank Johnson, who is the uh, member of the House of Representatives, uh, representing the 4th District of, of Georgia, when it was his turn to question the general, said, but, you know, is, if we could put too many troops on the island of, of did I say Guam? Yeah, yeah Guam. if we put too many troops on the island of Guam, we could tip it over. <laughs> and the general was like, you see the look in his face. He, he didn't know how to process that. He just froze for a second. Was the guy kidding? He wasn't kidding. And the general said, well, no, that that wouldn't happen. (laughs) I'm like, okay. Uh, You know, that kind of explains a lot with regard to where we are as a country, given the caliber of leadership we have. All right. Uh, Islands are undersea mountains. And uh, this earthquake is going to cause them to disappear. Disappear. Uh, and mountains on land will uh, be flattened. Henry Morris, and some of you have read some of uh, Henry Morris's commentaries. Now. He's with the Lord now, brilliant guy. I saw Henry Morris. He's uh, a, a scientist, but a committed Christian. And he spoke, not long before he died, he spoke at one of our pastor's conferences in Indiana. He was such a joy to listen to. This guy... As he taught, he just kept rattling out scriptures. He had memorized so much of the Bible. He just kept, he would talk and just keep throwing out. He was, he had memorized old passages. We were just mesmerized. And after he got done, we all just stood, just all stood together and gave him a standing ovation. What a man of God. Just an incredible man. We'll, we'll meet him. We'll, we'll get a chance to say hi to him someday. But, but I, I, listen to what he said. Think about this now. We're trying to kind of frame, all right, Lord, here's what you're saying. What is that going kind to of really mean, though? And so Morris said um, in one of his commentaries about this, how uh, you know islands will flee away and mountains will be flat and so on. He goes, the gentle rolling topography of the world as originally created will be restored. No more will there be great inaccessible uh, uninhabitable mountain ranges or deserts or ice caps the physical environment uh, of the millennium will be in large measure a restoration of the antediluvian environment end quote. Antediluvian means pre-flood the flood changed the topography of the earth there was no great mountains before the flood it, the water pushed down on the earth, mountains rose valleys were created uh, the topography of the earth after the flood uh, is much different than it was before the flood. It's called the antediluvian period, okay? And um, so Morris thinks, and I, I agree with him, because based on the language here in Revelation, that God is hes uh, kind of smoothing out the earth. What, why is he doing that? Because he's going to change the climate. Remember now, we've talked about this, there was a time when the climate on the face of the earth was much different than it is today. I mean, archaeologists have found in Siberia fossils of woolly mammoths that were, that were flash-frozen so quickly that they still had tropical vegetation lodged in their digestive tracts, indicating that tropical vegetation in Siberia? The fossil record shows asparagus plants 12 feet high, all kinds of things, they, it, it, they grew, grew vegetables and fruits grew incredibly large. Why? Because of, of the, um, the way God created the earth, there was a terrarian effect. A terrarium, terrarium, I don't, I'm not a guy that does that kind of stuff. But um, remember how it says that the waters on the earth were separated from the waters above the earth. There was a, a moisture blanket, a va- water vapor blanket around the whole earth. And what this did, when light, sunlight came in on one side of the Earth, it bounced off of this, you know, on the inside, it bounced off of this uh, terrarian effect, this this this, uh, this blank, moisture blanket barrier, so that even on the dark was we consider the dark side of the Earth, you know, if the sun's shining here, it's dark in China, right? But there was a uh, the light was diffused so that even in the other side of the earth there was a twilight the longer the more light caused for things to grow even larger but the earth had a different climate during the millennial kingdom God is going to restore the earth back to that climactic period because the earth think about it uh, in a thousand years with death being as rare as it's going to be during the millennial kingdom not gone completely a child will die at a hundred bible says So if you're 100 years old during the millennial, not you guys, we'll all have our glorified bodies in the rapture. But I'm talking about the people who are going to be born during this 1,000-year period. Because death is going to be rare. Who knows how many people in 1,000 years um, will be on the earth? 100 billion? We don't know. And it will be okay because the whole earth will be uh, able to sustain. You know, no more harsh climactic regions high mountains and it's just everything very kind of you know uh, leveled out and ready to go basically um be interesting time right but um again guys as every all the mountains are kind of brought down and jerusalem is raised up well it could wind up being the highest point on the earth making it a fitting throne for the great king who will reign from there during the millennial kingdom. Turn to Jeremiah 3. And while you're in the neighborhood, turn over to Isaiah 52. So keep your finger. In Isaiah 52, Jer- turn to Jeremiah 3. Uh, just Just one verse that talks about how Jesus is going to rule from Jerusalem during the Millennial Kingdom. But Jeremiah 3.17, and again, thinking that Jerusalem could wind up being the highest point on the earth. Wow. And Jesus is going to reign from there during the Millennial Kingdom. Jeremiah 3.17, at that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord. And all the nations shall be gathered to it, to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. And then in Isaiah 52, verse 13, and I'll read it out of the NASB because I was thinking to myself, okay, well, um, is there, you know, I mean, is there a scripture that would indicate that, you know, that Jerusalem is going to be really high and lifted up? So I looked looked up the phrase high and lifted up. And uh, in the NASB, the way it's worded, uh, Isaiah 52, verse 13, behold, my servant will prosper. My servant, God is talking about his son, Messiah, when he reigns on the earth. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Now, is that just a figure of speech that everyone's going to elevate the Lord, praise him? Yeah, probably part of it. Could there be a literal interpretation involved? I think there could very well be that Jesus Christ is going to reign, yes, from Jerusalem, could be his throne, but that throne will be literally high and lifted up. All right. Back to Revelation 16, verse 21. And great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. Uh, Those who somehow escaped the devastation caused by the earthquake, prophesied in verse 18, will face another catastrophe, one unprecedented in human history. They will be pelted with huge hailstones, each weighing about a talent that will hurtle down from heaven, signifying that it is a judgment coming from God himself. Um, these giant hailstones will come hurtling down from heaven, Uh, as a form of judgment, of course, upon the earth, where God is going to destroy earth. You know, what the earthquake didn't do, these hailstones are going to probably finish the job, okay? Uh, As we talked about numerous times, there are those folks who actually worship the earth. Now, some of that's spiritual, Gaia worship, they call Mother Earth Gaia, and worship her as a goddess. But then you have scientists who worship the earth; they worship the creation and not the creator, right? They're evolutionists, big bang people, and they don't think there's really a god that uh, exists, let alone one that spoke everything to existence, right? Um, so there's a lot of folks that worship the material, and God is going to uh, to uh, destroy uh, both the earth and them. A Greek talent, guys, a Greek talent, and remember, it's a measure of weight not ability so that's like you know like, what's your talent i'm a good musician it's not this is a, a measure of weight okay the greek talent described the most weight a normal man could carry anywhere from 90 90 to 135 pounds usually it's averaged out to be about 100 pounds you see the word talent in the bible think of about uh, think of 100 pounds that, that's a good rule of thumb. Okay. Look, the heaviest hailstones ever recorded in history weighed two pounds. These are going to be 50 times heavier. Sometimes people ask me, will these hailstones be hot or cold? In other words, you know, will they be fiery rocks coming down from outer space? Or will they be huge chunks of ice, folks? At around 100 pounds each, does it really matter? (laughs) Seriously. In verse 9 of chapter 16, Revelation, we read how people on the earth keep blaspheming God for these judgments. Instead of repenting and getting their lives right with him, of course, you all remember in the Old Testament, the penalty for blasphemy was stoning, stoning. So here God stones the people of the earth who worship the Antichrist, who have received his mark, which means they have basically said, I belong to you, body and soul. You're my God. And they blaspheme the true and living God, the God of heaven. So God stones them. Again, verse 21, And great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail. Does they continued to blaspheme God. They've been blaspheming him all the way through these judgments. I mean, it's obvious from the language they know these judgments are from God. Now, there was a time in the beginning of the seven-year period where it was being explained natural uh, causes, you know, global warming. That's what's happening, you know. And, and 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 some of these early judgments, people kind of wrote off. But you come to chapter 6, and the Greek is very interesting that they at one point acknowledge, oh, no, this is not... When, when the judgments hit the sun, the moon, the stars. Um, then they say, fall on us. Hide yourself in the rock. Rocks fall on us. Kill us. Hide us from the face of the Lamb. For his, the great day of his wrath has come, and who can stand against him? But the Greek is, the great day of his wrath has already come. Now they realize that this is a natural phenomenon. This is judgments from God. So from that point on, they know. God is involved in these catastrophes. And what do they do? Well, no doubt many get saved, but a lot of others harden their hearts evermore. And at this point, everybody who is going to get saved has gotten saved. And now all that's left is to destroy the rest who are the earth dwellers. This is their home, they want nothing to do with God. They don't think of themselves as God. The Antichrist is their God, and so on. So they continue, not just start to blaspheme, continue to blaspheme God, Uh, this time because the plague of the hail was exceedingly great. One author said, and I quote, "Incredibly, Incredibly tortured humanity defiantly remains hardened against God. It is too late for these hardened sinners. They have sold their souls to Satan. They are totally committed to antichrist, blasphemous, idolatrous, anti-God system, end quote. Well, guys, their end was prophesied back in chapter 14. You might as well turn there. You remember we looked at it. Revelation 14, verses 9 to 11. Starting with verse 9, Revelation 14. If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand... He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented, that person who takes the mark of the beast, he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image, And whoever received the mark of his name. So uh, that was prophesying what is coming. And we see that fulfilled in Revelation 20. Uh, And then later on, yeah, in Revelation 20, I should say. Now, guys, we mentioned this before. After chapter 21, excuse me, after chapter 16, verse 21. Remember, chapter 17 and 18 are kind of like a parenthesis. All right. Fill in some information that we didn't get before that after revelation 16 verse 21 the next chronological event that is prophesied is the one mentioned in revelation 19 verse 11 and this will be where the true christ the lord jesus christ returns from heaven to earth and takes over the kingdoms of this world and fulfills the prophecy of revelation 11 verse 15 which says the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. That was spoken of as if it had already happened in chapter eleven, verse fifteen. Remember, if something is absolutely certain that's yet future, spoken of in the past tense, like it's already happened, it's a done deal. And so, but here in Revelation nineteen, Jesus does come back, and that prophecy in Revelation eleven fifteen is fulfilled. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Guys, many believe, and we'll close with this, um, many believe that the church will be going through this entire period of judgment, the whole seven-year 7, tribu- seven year tribulation period. A lot of people are in the church are post-tribulational in their eschatology. What does that mean? that Jesus won't return until after the tribulation period is finished post trip all right then he'll come back but paul the apostle wrote one verse but there's many others but i'll give you one first of all paul the apostle wrote to titus a young pastor in titus 2 verse 13 he said the church is looking for listen the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. So, what is the appearing of Jesus that affects the church? Is it the second coming? Or is it the rapture? Well, I believe it's the rapture. The church won't, I don't think it's going to be here at all for the tribulation period. But when Jesus comes at his second coming, who's coming with him? The church and the holy angels. Okay? We'll talk about that more in Revelation 19. Um, but here's the deal. Paul's talking about the church and how we're looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, which would be the rapture. If the rapture happens at the end of the tribulation period, think about it now. If that was Paul's eschatology, that the rapture was going to happen after the tribulation period was completely done, All the cataclysmic judgments and all the horrific stuff going on. And why would he call it the blessed hope? We've we've already gone through all the bad stuff. It's only a blessed hope if Jesus comes at the rapture and evacuates his church off of the earth before his judgments are poured out. That's our blessed hope, right? Um, That verse wouldn't make any sense if Paul had a post-trib... Rapture eschatology, right? Look at Revelation 16, verse 15. Jesus stops in the midst of the final seven bold judgments. These are the most horrific. And just stops in the middle of it and says in verse 15, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Guys, this verse applies to people right now. Right now. There is still time for people to escape what's coming. Now, as evangelical Christians, we will escape because we've been saved. We'll be evacuated before the judgments of God are poured out. And I believe the first one's going to be the Antichrist. Which means I don't think the church is going to see the Antichrist rise to power. I think he's alive right now. We don't know who he is. I think we might be shocked if God told us who we'd probably know his name. Probably, although maybe not. But in the midst of the most horrific part of the tribulation judgments, Jesus stopped and says, look, there's still time. There's still time. I'm coming as a thief. It's going to happen quick, so you better right now make a decision, is the idea, Uh, so that my coming doesn't catch you off guard and it's too late. Okay? There is still time to escape what's coming. Let me give you three scriptures, and we'll close. Revelation. We studied uh, the first one, Revelation 3, verse 10, where Jesus said to the church there uh, in, um, I forgot, was it, was it Ephesus or, yeah, well, I think it was Ephesus. Uh, because you have kept my command to persevere. These are believers. I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world, to test those who dwell on the earth. That's, there's that phrase, the earth dwellers. These are, the, in, in, in the, not to the test, but to judge. But if you belong to me, Jesus said, I am going to keep you from the great tribulation, as some translations put it. And I'm going to take you out of here. There's no reason for you, as my people, who have received me. My blood is paid for your sin. There's no reason for me to punish you with the wicked. Didn't Peter say that? God never punishes the righteous with the wicked? There's no point. We've received Christ, right? 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 10. We as Christians are waiting for His Son, Jesus' return from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from what? The wrath to come. The tribulation period is all about God's wrath being poured out on a Christ rejecting world. I told you I was on the radio a few years back and it was a live call-in show and one of the guys we were talking about how that the church would not be here for the tribulation period, right? And a guy called up and he was really upset. Really upset. Furious. And he said to me because I was the one talking about it, he said to me, well, you know, Jesus said, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. Told his people that. And now you're telling us we won't have tribulation. I said, sir, wait. Just wait a minute. There's a difference between the tribulation of the world against the church. That is something we're going to experience until we're out of here. That's different from the tribulation of God poured out upon the world. The world, yeah, in the world, you can always have tribulation. That's the world persecuting the church. Whereas God at one point is going to judge or give, send tribulation to the world. That's the tribulation period. They're, they're different. But um, we're waiting for Jesus to come for his church. And uh, Jesus who was raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. He's going to deliver his church from the tribulation period. One last scripture to all those who are maybe sitting on the fence. Hebrews 4, 4, verse 7. And again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it has been said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Guys, tomorrow's not promised to anybody. I, I am a firm believer that hell is going to be popular with a lot of people who believe in Jesus. What do I mean? Well, in their heads, they grew up in the church, went to a Juana's. Maybe a Christian summer camp. They knew who Jesus And And you know what? Maybe a lot of them fully expect or told themselves, you know, I, I know I should give my life to Jesus, but I just, you know, I'm not ready yet. And then they died. And forever they're going to be weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth because they knew the truth, and they weren't really opposed to the truth. Now, of course, hell will be loaded with a lot of people who are atheists and, militant, atheists, and agnostics, and so on. But I'm convinced there are going to be a lot of church people in hell. You can read Matthew 7. When I say church people, I don't mean born-again evangelical Christians. I mean people who went to church, talked the talk, didn't walk the walk, never gave their heart to Christ, although they believed in him. They never made a commitment to him. The writer is saying, Look, today's the day of salvation. Tomorrow's not promised to anybody. If you hear his voice, if God's tugging on your heart, don't harden your heart. This may be your last chance. Guys, I'll end with this. As you watch the news, as I watch the news, I don't know about you, but I, I can't, and I think I probably speak for, for many of you. Um, as you watch the news and you see what's going on in the world, I, I don't know about you, but I can't help. To feel as a Christian that God is getting ready to wrap it up, wrap it all up. He's laying the groundwork. It's like things are coming, you know, coming together. It's like the Lord is showing us who know prophecy. Um, I'm, I'm wrapping stuff up. Jesus is coming real soon. And the question that I'll leave you with, are you ready? That's are you ready? And even if you're born again, praise God. You're ready, more ready than a lot of people. But you know, the Bible says that even among Christians, when Jesus appears for his church, many will be ashamed at his appearing. Why? Because they're living carnal lives. They're not really living full out for the Lord. Can I encourage you guys, what are we doing playing games? This is not a time to play games. This is a time to get deadly serious. Get on your face before God. Confess your carnality. I I know I'm doing that all the time. Because I want to draw closer to the Lord. He's been really working on my heart about a holy life and really drawing close to Him and and not just taking for granted stuff and not just breezing through my prayers, but really taking some time to be in His presence and, and to meditate on Him and abide in Christ. It's time to get serious, right? The Lord Jesus is coming. His coming is near even at the door. Let's be ready. Father... We thank you, Lord, for your promises. We thank you that your coming is near even at the door. We thank you that uh, as we read your word and all the prophecies that are uh, that are soon going to be fulfilled and maybe even are being fulfilled as we speak, Lord, you're wrapping things up. You're setting the stage for Jesus' return. Are you going to find us serving or sitting? Uh, Full-on loving you and living for you or... Loving and living mostly for the world. Give us grace, Lord. Send your spirit upon us, the spirit of fire to burn up the chaff of carnality, compromise, complacency. And Lord, fill us with a holy fire for you, a holy passion for your word and for souls and for holiness. And Lord, please keep blessing these studies in your word. We ask all this now in Jesus' precious name. Amen.